bow before your greatness. There is no God like Jehovah. And we worship you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. All that we have is yours, Lord, and we bow before you in your excellence and greatness and majesty. We thank you for the profound privilege of coming into your presence through the blood of your own Son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we come today, Lord. Father, this morning I pray for this church. I pray for every person here. And I pray, Father, that for these people you have put on my heart this morning, that there are some here today who don't know. There's some here today who just don't know if they belong to you or not. I pray for those people today, Lord. I pray for the people who have found their way to this church, but they haven't yet found their way to you, Lord. And I just pray for them today that as we consider your word and we consider your love for us and your plan of salvation, that your Holy Spirit would move in those hearts, that today would be the day of salvation for them, Lord God. I pray for those who are struggling today, Lord. I pray for them. I pray, God for the burdened. I pray for the sick. I I pray for those who have confusing messages in their heads, Lord. I pray for the depressed. I pray, Father God, for those who are just in tough, tough places today. And we invite your Holy Spirit to come and to demonstrate your greatness among us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So go ahead and be seated. Amen. Thank you. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. It's really super easy to find. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read a couple verses for you this morning, verses 26 and 27. This is all taking part at the end of God's creating the world. In verse 26 it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the Bible says that we are created in the image of God. That as God was completing the creation of all that is, he made man and woman to be in a unique position as he and she lived among all that was made. As I've been mentioning Off and on, Pastor Rob and I have in our hearts this year to to focus in our weekly teachings on two pivotal questions. Who am I and what am I doing here? Those are really the two existential questions, aren't they? Like, what am I, who am I and what am I doing here? And we're committed to praying and studying the Bible with a view of of mining its truths in such a way that you can better know who you are and you can also better know what your purpose on the earth actually is. That is our heart. 
And I believe the, the task of understanding who you are begins right here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so to understand who we are and who everybody else is, for that matter, we have to begin here. We have to begin with a deeper understanding of what it means that we're created in the image of God. It all starts here. So prepare to gasp, but I've been reading my Bible. I know. Prepare to gasp again, but I've been praying. Crazy activities for a pastor to do, I realize, reading his Bible and praying. But as I have, I discovered that there are so many answers to this question. What does it even mean to be created in the image of God? And so Rob and I are in the process of sorting that out because we want to bring to you one of these each week, beginning today and continuing through for five weeks up to Easter. To begin with today, that we're created in the image of God means that we are essentially spiritual and eternal beings. I mean, at the core of who we are and the substantial part of who we are is that we're spiritual and that we're eternal. I mean, God is spirit, right? And God is eternal, yes or no? So if we are created in his image then it stands to reason that we are also essentially spiritual and we're eternal. In John 4.24, Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must do so in, anybody know how this goes? In spirit and in truth. So Jesus said, "God, God is spirit. I'm thinking he would know, right? God is spirit, and they that worship him do so must do so in spirit and in truth. So that the whole act of worship is that essential part of you, your spirit man, if you will, is being released to give praise and honor and glory to God who is spirit. That's what worship is. The music is a means to that. The music is a way of expressing that. It's a It's setting the table so that you can come and and your spirit can come alive and give praise and glory and honor to God who is spirit. Now, that that God is spirit is no surprisingly new revelation to us. That's how we always think of God, of course. And God is spirit and we know that he allowed himself, according to the Bible, to become man to do what? To, to live a perfect life, to die a sinless death, and to rise a powerful resurrection. And the, the whole aspect of God allowing himself, who is spirit, to become man is something we call what? We call that the incarnation, right? And that is something that while God is essentially spirit, he temporarily allowed himself to become flesh so that he could rescue from sin those he created in his image. If you think about it, the only manner of God that any of us know is spirit. We only know personally, through personal encounter, the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Bible says that God is what? Father, 
Son and Holy Spirit. We're going to get to that later in what it means to be created in the image of God. But for now, we'll just take that because the Bible says that. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in reality, since Jesus ascended to the Father, well, no man has seen the Father, right? No man has seen the Son. Uh, but our encounter has been entirely with the Holy Spirit. And so, no matter whether you classify yourself as a charismatic, a Pentecostal Christian, you know, those crazy Christians who like to get all about the Spirit, no matter whether you classify yourself that way or not, you have encountered the Holy Spirit. Every person who has ever been born again has, has encountered the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus did the dying and the rising, but the Holy Spirit brings the truth, yes? So even the most stoic believers who say, no, we don't do Holy Spirit here, uh, you, you can't get saved without encountering the Holy Spirit, right? And beyond that, many of us have many, many encounters as we pursue our walk with God and as we pursue the kingdom of God here on earth. Yes or no? Okay, good. So when you're at work and you're talking about how cool your church is and stuff, and somebody says, well, is it a Holy Spirit church? There is no other kind of church! There, can't, there is no church if the Holy Spirit is not there. So there should be no big deal when we, when we just say out loud, well, God is, is spirit because that's how we know him. And so if we are created in God's image, we're not God, of course, but if we are somehow created in his image, then we too must have an essential, spiritual, eternal component, Right? At the very center of our beings is a spiritual and an eternal nature. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the absolute teaching of the Bible. So you might be sitting there going, I don't agree with that. That doesn't make it not true. It just means you're wrong, right? <laughs> you know, I think it's worth saying that our spiritual and e eternal nature is not just a part of who we are, but it is, the, it is the essential element of who we are. Um, I think in our day and age, we kind of think, our, think of ourselves as primarily physical, yeah, and that we have this little spiritual aspect of us kind of rumbling around on the inside, sort of how we roll, that the spiritual part of us, well, that's the big part, and we've got this little spirit, or the, the physical part is the big part. We've got this little spiritual part, and uh, the Bible teaches exactly the opposite. That the Bible says that the substantial part of who we are is the spiritual part, um, and the, is the eternal part. And that we're just renting this domicile we call the body. Somebody asked me after the first service if it was possible to get a lease on a different place while he's here. But, Second Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5.1 says, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, the domicile is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So the flesh that houses uh, our spiritual selves is really the thing that is only a part of who we are. We, we know that, I hope this isn't a surprise to anybody, but we know that there will come a day when the flesh fails. It'll be done. And you'll be done with it. 
you're going to change addresses, right? And that's, that's the reality of the situation. But the Bible says here that for those who are in Christ, that when, this, when you get kicked out of this house, you're welcomed into the house of God. That's what it says. But in saying that, we need to realize then that the important part, if you will, the substantial part of who we are is the spiritual, eternal part, not the physical part. So to understand what it means that we are each created in the image of God begins with an acceptance that we are fundamentally spiritual and eternal in nature. And, and, and this definitely, when we do this, it demands a change in us, and the change is in our worldview, isn't it? It's just the way we live when we go, what? When we come to that amazing revelation that at the core of who I really am is spiritual and eternal, it takes us out of a carnal worldview and puts us into a supernatural worldview. It changes everything. Um, the natural man, by that the Bible calls him the carnal man, the person who doesn't know Christ, is governed by this worldview, that on the one end of the, of the spectrum in their worldview is, are their thoughts, their wisdom, you know, their intelligence, their ability to think and do things. And then on the other end, the low end of, the, of that scale, that spectrum, are their urges and their impulses, right? And so they know they're living in this. They think they have no, no eternal future. So their, their only hope for a worldview is to say, I need to live with this higher part of me and with this lower part. I need to find a place, a happy place, right, in between them so that I can be productive in my thinking, in my reasoning, my inventing, my working, my labor. I can be productive. With, and on my good days, I'd like, I wouldn't mind if that were helpful to other people. That's a good. That's just a good person. But they also have to realize, you know, I'm only here for a little while, and uh, I got this other stuff going on, this stuff I want to do, you know, like sex and power and accomplishment and possessions and stuff like that. Those are my urges. And so I have to find a place somewhere on that line that I can live in between those two things. That's the, the worldview of the natural man. The Christian who understands that they are so much more than the natural man it suddenly has a different worldview. And as this person is born again and embraced by the Holy Spirit, then they begin to understand that they're much more than a natural man. And not only do they begin to understand that as, as a spiritual man, then the natural man is actually less important and ultimately only a temporary part of who they are. And this affects their worldview. Yes or no? Okay, we're tracking, good. So in Luke 12, 15, Jesus said that a man's life is not found in the abundance of his possessions. That a person's significance is not found in the abundance of their possessions. That's a tough one on Americans, isn't it? Hey, listen, that thing only makes sense if you embrace the spiritual eternal worldview that's that only the words so many of the words of Jesus only make sense if you say wait a minute there is more than this because the person in the natural worldview argues against that and says well well of course it's in my abundance of my possessions and my power and and I disagree with that and so they disagree with that because they haven't embraced Christ and had a worldview transplant, right? I mean, Jesus said, maybe you know this, what good is it if a man should gain the whole world, yet what? Anybody know? 
lose his soul. And so he said, well, you know, what, what good is it? What good is it if you end up with the biggest pile and you lose your soul? Because Jesus is saying, this is the, this is the bigger part of you. The bigger part of you is your spiritual self. And the world comes and constantly tries to distract you from that, doesn't it? The bigger part of you is the spiritual man. Okay. The person who embraces this supernatural worldview will literally see the world in a completely different way. For example, the person who lives every moment of every day in the knowledge that this isn't all there is, that there's a life after this one, and that if we're in Jesus Christ, we can look forward to the better part of life. That Listen, for the Christian, this is as bad as it's ever going to be. You're struck. This, it only gets better from here. Because there's going to come a day, I'm persuaded of this because of the promises of God, there's going to come a day when my heart's going to beat its last beat here. And it's going to begin to beat with real life there because that's the assurance that a believer has. And that changes the way you, you think. It changes the way you make decisions. Some of you are making defining decisions right now about career and future and relationships and stuff like that. You're making defining decisions. And a person with this spiritual, eternal worldview says, i got to realize that when I make these decisions, it's not just about how I'm going to get through the day or the week or the month or the year or the life, but that these decisions affect my eternity and affect the eternity of people around me. That's part of the worldview. And what it does is it says that the spiritual, eternal, is the bigger part of who we are, not the physical. You know, in our present culture, we've become preoccupied with a couple things, a lot of things. Well, we've become preoccupied with what? Health and fitness, right? Now, on the surface, of course, we would want to do a good job. We would want to be healthy people. We would want to exercise. I exercise about three hours a week. I mean, this doesn't just happen all by itself, you guys. You know, I mean, you know, I, I, I get that. That's important. Um, but we've become, I, I mean, who could even begin to, to, to know the billions upon billions of dollars that we spend on, on health care and fitness, right? Again, a wonderful thing on the surface, but held in contrast with our spiritual life and how much time, resources are invested in the development of the part of us that's going to live forever. It's a little sobering, isn't it? So a big deal, Pocket. You work out three hours a week. Big deal. You sit on something that you paid somebody to figure out how to make it like you're going up and down stairs, even though you have to come downstairs to do it. Why don't you just keep going back up and down stairs, Tom? Save yourself 300 bucks right there, right? Oh, no, no, no. I can't play Wii tennis going up and down stairs. You know what Wii tennis is, right? You know, the Wii? Remember those, right? I'm really good. I'm really good. I play Sarah and Elise all, all the time because they're the top computer. They're the top 
players that live inside my TV. They don't have anybody better to send to me anymore. Wow, how do we get there? If I'm going to spend three hours working up a sweat to keep the domicile where I think it should be, how much time am I willing to spend on my face before God, in the Word, in the company of other praying believers? Come on. You feeling that? You see, we spend our money on what we think is important. We spend our time on what we think is important, right? And I'm here to tell you that there's something substantially more important than this life going on inside of you, and that's your eternal spiritual nature, and you were created in the image of God. So that person just begins to live from the standpoint, wait, wait a minute, this doesn't just affect now. And the person who accepts that they are essentially a spiritual eternal being also understands that so is everybody else. I was in the Meyer store in 665 getting some groceries this week. I had this on my mind, you know, I was working this out and stuff. And this thing happened where everybody I saw, the Holy Spirit was saying, they are a spiritual eternal person. I don't know who they are. Every person I saw, it was weird. Different kinds of people. And I've, every person I saw, I got this awareness that they too are a spiritual eternal person by nature. And it changed the way I shared that space with them. It, it, it literally changed the way I was in the store. So when I got into the long line, you know, that wasn't important. What was important is, who has God ordained me to be in line with? Right? It changes the way you look at other people. You know that, think of somebody that you love a lot. I mean, other than me, obviously. But think of somebody, think of somebody that you just really love a lot, Okay? Now, as you focus on them in your mind, they are essentially, primarily, like you, a spiritual, eternal being. Does that change what's important about the conversation? <laughs> now I want you to think of somebody in your life that Do you know this person? If you don't know that person, I got some I can loan you. I mean, somebody just makes you just makes you want to scream. It's like what? Now think about this. They too are essentially a spiritual, eternal person. How does that change the way you? Wrap your fingers around the neck. <laughs> I just think about Nicholas Cruz. Think about it. he was the guy who confessed to killing 17 people at high school last week. I just think about him for a minute. And he too is a spiritual, eternal person. <sighs> Do you know how Jesus just messes everything up? 
just when you got a good war going on, he comes on and it says, that's not the way we go. Man, it changes the way we look at other people. person accepts the supernatural worldview also understands that God intends to use them in their setting to bring his kingdom to bear on the earth. I change stuff. You are a vessel of the power of God. You are a vessel of the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught us to pray, didn't he? They said, how should we pray? He said, this, this, this. And then he gets to a place where he says, thy kingdom come. Okay, if you're new here and go, how'd they know that? All right, you'll catch up. All right. Jesus was asked, how do we pray? He said, here, it was a real super simple prayer. And one of the things he said was, pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth, just like you do it in heaven. In other words, that there is a dynamic reality of the Father's desire to bring his kingdom and his will to bear on the earth. Now, how does he do that? Through us. Thank you, Justin. Through us. And the person with a supernatural worldview begins to understand that. They begin to understand that. And they say, that's how I'm going to live my life. God, what time is it? What, as I stand in this line here right now, Lord, how could I bring the kingdom of God and the will of God to bear on this space with these people? Thoughts? Questions? I mean, I thought they'd like to share. Damon, can you say that a little louder, please? Oh, sure. Um, Define for you. So maybe I should have been more clear about what a worldview is in general. That's a great question, Damien. And worldview is the way the way we look at the world. Okay, I mean, obviously, but. That comes from what we believe, what we believe to be true. So my worldview is directly impacted by what I believe to be true. Now, when I embrace this truth that I'm fundamentally spiritual and eternal, when I believe that, because the Bible says it's created in the image of God, then that changes the way I look from a worldly worldview, a carnal worldview, a natural worldview, to a supernatural one where I see God wants to do stuff and, and, and so the range of possibilities is really unlimited. That's what I mean by supernatural worldview. I approach every situation with, Father, what do you want to do here, not what can I do here? Okay. That's a great question. Anybody else? A question or a thought? Harry? Sure. But really, the, the hero here is a shoe salesman who brought D.L. Moody to Christ and look at all these people. Yeah, so Harry's just giving a reference to the fact that, you know, uh, there was some. Exactly, that there was a chain of ordinary people, if you will, that led to Billy Graham's salvation, right? And then Billy Graham, of course, is known throughout the earth. But what about, had the, what, what about the role of the ordinary people? And maybe we see ourselves more as ordinary people, but that the impact is phenomenal. Good. Other thoughts, questions?
Yes, uh, I can't see who you are. Oh, hi, Colin. Okay. Yeah, you have. <laughs> oh, sure. So you, you're saying that you, you're a personal witness to the change that can occur in a person's life from old man to new man. And you're asking me to elaborate a little bit on how that changes your worldview? I'd rather you did that. How has it changed your world? Tell me. <laughs> Don't resist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, that's really, that's a great point. So Khaled's saying that, you know, we have this fundamental and powerful change in our lives because of Christ and the Holy Spirit, but that it's still our responsibility to keep giving ourselves to the Holy Spirit, the process, because like, just like Paul says, I've talked with the high school kids, you know, Paul says, uh, man, there's stuff I want to do that I don't do, and there's stuff I don't want to do that I do. What's going on? He said, who will deliver me from this body of death? He talks about the carnal man, the old man, right? But what does he say? He says, thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ, the unspeakable gift of Jesus. That's our key. Listen, let me, let me get this plane on the ground with this. Um, I think some of you today probably many of you, are experiencing a radically low sense of significance. Here I am sharing this planet with 7 billion people. Who am I? What does it matter? That life isn't important to you because you don't matter that much. I want to tell you something. That's the devil talking. That is not the Lord talking. That's, that's the devil talking to you, not the Lord. In a session with the high school kids, oh, I, loved, I just love them. Not long ago, we talked about, I'm spotting some of them right now, and they're hiding places. They're starting to go like this right now. We talked about how can you tell, how can you distinguish between the Lord's voice and the devil's voice? And here's the conclusion that we reached, that when the devil is speaking to you, he starts all of his lines with, high school kid, tell me. Riley, you're just. You're just... That's all you are. You're just clay. You're going to die. You're just. You're just a person who can't stop gossiping. You're, you're just a person who can't stop looking at porn. You're just a person who fill in the blank, right? The devil always starts with, you're just. That's all you are. My distinction 
some high school kid over here. Tell me, tell me how Jesus starts his lines. I heard it a little bit. Abby, was that you? What did he say? You're more. Jesus always begins. You're more. You're more. You're not just. You're more. You were created in the image of God. You're more. You're more. And you know what? Some of those things may be true about you, but you're not just that. You're that under the redemptive power of the cross. You're that when submitted to the Holy Spirit is the Lord saying, no, you're more. You're more. You're not just. You're more. You're more. Genesis 1 and 2 says, you're created in the image of God, yes or no? Genesis 3 says, sin came into the world and fractured the image of God in us, separated us from God, right? That's sin. You've got a broken image. It's got to be repaired. i got really good news for you. Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, came and he lived a sinless life. He died a perfect death and he rose from the dead. So that as we have faith in his name, the, rede- the redemption of Jesus Christ is made applicable to us personally, individually. And so the offer of the gospel is simply this. Do you want to be just or do you want to be more? The offer of the gospel is this. Do you want to live in the natural worldview, just living the best you can, trying to stay far away from that end and doing something with this end? Or do you want to enter in to the more that God has for you? And do you want to enter into the assurance to be able to make such an audacious statement like, my last heartbeat is going to be the best day of my life? How can you make that? And and if you can't make that, I want you to think about yourself. And I want you to think about your response to the gospel. Because more bad news is it it just seems like Many, if not most, people are rejecting God's offer of salvation, and they're either outright rejecting it by not believing, or they're substituting it with some set of arbitrary religious rules that don't require faith. Man, either one is as bad as the other because they don't require faith. And so I'm just going to ask you guys here, and you know, who here is like ready to take care of that? Who here came and you're sitting there going, I, I, I want to get there. I want to get to that place where I know with confidence. I don't, I don't want anybody to start doubting your salvation. If you're saved, turn me off right now and start praying, all right? But if you're a person who, who just says, I, I don't know. Then the question is, what's your response, right? What do, you, do you want to know? Do you want to give your life to Jesus Christ today, personally? Is today your day? That's for you to know. And only you know. I wish I had some kind of Geiger counter or something. You come with me. You know, it's just, it's, that's just something that just you know. And I don't want anybody to ever doubt their salvation when I talk this way. Man, if you're saved, you're saved. 
But if you're struggling in that, no, I'm not saved or in the gray zone, I don't know. I'm going to ask you to do something very courageous. In a minute, we're going to start singing. And when we sing, I'm going to go over into that little room right there. This is a prayer room. It's just a little place we've set aside so we can pray. I'm going to go in there. And if anybody wants to come in and pray, I'll help you. I'll help you know. It's a big thing to walk into a little room like that, but that's all it is, just a little room where we can hear each other. That's what I'm going to do. What are you going to do? Lord in heaven, we thank you for your word, which is a living, powerful thing. It comes alive when we're together, and your Holy Spirit comes. It's not an old book anymore. And I thank you, Father, for every person here. You know there's nobody I don't love in this room at all. I just love them, Lord. I pray in particular, I feel a special love for people who are needing to make a personal confession of their faith so that they can know, they can know, they can know that their last heartbeat here is going to be the best day of their life, Father. Come, Holy Spirit, I pray, and embolden people to do what their heart wants to do. Make a connection between their heart, their head, their heart, and their feet. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you please stand with me? Let's worship the Lord.